Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd like to ask you to do two simple things. First, if you could leave us a review on your chosen podcast player. And second, if you could share or send this link to another grassroots coach. Those two things will help us spread the word about the podcast and grow our community. Okay, welcome to the Athletic Evolution Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Marina Carrier, who is a 24-year-old modern pentathlete who qualified for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics as part of the Australian Olympic team. She's been involved in pentathlon since the age of 12. Her highest world ranking in the senior level was at uh, number 39, and she finished her youth career at number seven in the world. She's had several podium finishes, but her best result was beating the world number two, and she's previously the Australian champion in 2017 and 2018, and also my cousin. So welcome to the podcast, Marina. Thank you very much. Nice to chat to you and catch up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for those who, who haven't come across you before, how did you get involved in sport as a, as a whole, as a youngster, and how did that lead you to modern pentathlon and, and qualifying for the Olympic Games? Um, as a whole, I think growing up, I just did everything under the sun. You know, when you're in Australia, you, you do anything and everything. So soccer, hockey, tennis, sailing, swimming, you just get sort of thrown in the deep end. But um, in terms of pentathlon, um, we lived in England for a year, the south of England, and we were being shown around the school by one of the teachers. And he sort of just turned and looked at me and said, oh, you're Australian. And I went, oh, yeah, Australian. And he's like, oh, you do all that running, shooting stuff, don't you? And I was like, what on earth are you talking about? And I've asked him and he explained the sport of pentathlon to me. And for some strange reason, um, having never done any of the five sports before, I decided it'd be a great fun idea to pick up all five at once. And um, yeah, picked it up for there and absolutely loved it. Um, I dropped it again uh, when I moved back to Australia and just sort of delved back into school sport with um, running and hockey and everything. And then got a phone call from um, this guy who, um, you know, had heard of me, who happened to live around the corner. And he said, you know, I picked up the phone and said, hey, um, my name's Ed Fernan. I went to the London 2012 Olympic Games. I heard you'd done pentathlon before. Would you like to be my training partner and try and make the Youth Olympic Games? And um, that was when I was 16. And um, here I am. Um, what's that? Eight, eight years later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for those who aren't initiated in pentathlon, talk us through the different disciplines. <laughs> so there are five disciplines, all done in a single day. Um, it is 200 metre freestyle swimming, um, fencing with an epee, um, then show jumping on a horse you've never met before, and a combined running and shooting where you do four laps of 800 metres um, and shoot a 10 metre uh, pistol target. Hmm. so really easy in a nutshell yeah exactly and you know it's, like you said it's not enough to do one sport you've got to do five at once <laughs> oh totally i know all those people who do one sport they're just useless just lazy <laughs> exactly <laughs> so can you tell us about throughout your career some of the kind of victories you've had as well as some of the challenges you've faced i know obviously you're facing a big one at the moment so talk us through some of those <laughs> well, the highs and lows yeah, I'll, well, I'll start with the highs, one uh, of which you mentioned um, earlier. Um, probably beating world number two last year um, was a bit of a highlight. Um, that was at the Polish Open International, and that was actually my third podium there, I think. Um, I don't know. It seems that that competition, I love coming third and getting the podium there. But that, that podium finish was really important to me and that it really cemented that I was in the mix in the international scene. 
um, as I'd always seen myself um, as a bit of an underdog. Um, and I think that story also highlights sort of one of the challenges that I've had is that having confidence in my abilities and that I really can take on the best. That, that took a long time to um, really cement that. But um, yeah, it's funny, actually, I wrote way back in 2016, when I was just picking the sport up seriously, I wrote, no one talks about the doubts and athletes have, um, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, I'll back myself. But, you know, one of the big challenges in sport is you do have those moments of doubt and fear and am I good enough? And why am I doing this? So um, yeah, sort of overcoming those things has been a big thing. But probably in the most more recent um, times, injury. I've had a big lesson in injury and the impacts that's had. Um, I've, I had a bone stress uh, in the neck of my femur, which um, for those uninitiated in bone stress, it's a pretty serious place to have it because if you break your hip, you can end up with hip replacements at age 22 um, and never run again. So um, yeah, it sort of went from that to being stomped on by a horse to falling off and then having an ITB issue. So it's sort of been like a big rolling snowball of injury and, and, that's tested my love for sport and my ability to endure and persevere a lot. Um, it's been a big, big challenge, especially in an Olympic qualifying year. Mm. So what does a normal day in the life of Marina look like when you're, when you're fully fit and healthy? So talk us through, a, I guess, a training week maybe, because I'm guessing it's oh, pretty right. varied. <laughs> yeah, it is. So it's pretty much like a full-time job. It's seven days a week. Um, normally I'll be doing running or swimming early in the morning. So I'll be up at 5.30, 6am, jumping in the pool. Um, the pool session would normally be about one and a half to two hours. Same with a run. Then I'd finish that up, um, have like five cups of tea, six cups of tea and breakfast to recuperate, sort of crash out for a little bit. And then I might um, get going to fencing with my fencing coach across the middle of the day. Um, so we do like a technical session um, where we practice, you know, footwork and blade work and, and um, decision making and all that sort of thing. Um, then I might, um, I might have a gym session and then the evening um, I might do a shoot and a fencing bouting session where you actually go and fight people um in the evening um yeah and then fit writing in there somewhere i'm not entirely sure but <laughs> it takes a lot of time management and a lot of travel um so i feel like my my weekly schedule is a bit like tetris you sort mm -hmm. of all got to fit the bits in together but it's pretty full-on um so you're doing two to two to four sessions a day um yeah and sort of going going between those and trying to fit everything in and not burning yourself out at the same time Mm. So how many, is there, is there a different coach for each discipline or do you have one overarching coach or how does it work with the different um, things that's going on? Interesting question. So I, I have a bit of a different approach, like more traditionally, um, you sort of have an overarching coach and then maybe a separate one for say riding, which is quite specific. Um, but I, in Australia, where the sport's quite small, you know, you don't come across, you know, specialist pentathlon coaches very often. So I do have a running coach, a swimming coach, a fencing coach, a riding coach, um, shooting coach. And I've basically had to manage that myself, um, which has been a big learning process so as a youngster when I picked up the sport at school and in England they just sort of manage your program for you and you know here's your training program go and do it but I think one of the big 
things for me, which at first I really lamented the fact that I had to manage myself and five coaches. I was like, oh, this sucks. Why can't I be in Europe and someone do this for me? But it's really turned into a strength to have separate specialist coaches that I then have a say in how I put together my program. Um, yeah, that's how mm. it sort of all works. It's, it's really interesting because obviously, you know, every sport has a different kind of culture around coaching and, you know, oh, yeah. I'm kind of thinking of tennis springs to mind where, where players are very specific around like the coaches they choose to work with and they kind of drive mm. their own program at a senior level. But to be put in those shoes early on as quite a young athlete, <laughs> having to manage oh, five yeah. different coaches and different personalities oh. must have been quite tricky. It, it was very daunting. And I think a lot of the time I was trying to seek advice and how to do it and, and, you know, it's still a learning process. I'm still figuring it out and still trying to perfect the program, you know, you know, like you just learn weird things. Like I know, for instance, in my uh, personal preference are that I hate doing gym straight after swimming. I can't do it. So I, I eliminate that. And I hate, I, I make sure that um, I don't have any training session after riding because I, I just mentally fried. I like running in the morning. So I do that. And so you just learn these sort of bits and bobs. Um, but communication, I think, is the biggest thing when you have so many coaches, you know, saying, hey, I'm tired from running. Um, I don't think I should do this big kick set in swimming today. Um, and, you know, and, and just being able to communicate those sorts of things because in the end, they, they can't see what other sessions you've done. And it's up to you to tell them how your body's going and how your mind's going mm. and just making sure everyone's on the same page. I guess that's it's quite interesting because I guess as you as you kind of see or hear athletes progressing it usually takes a while for people to pick up those kind of hints and and suggestions from their body um a lot of young athletes just plow through on willpower and like oh, oh I don't care if I, you yeah. know embrace the grind and no pain no gain but the experienced oh, athletes are yeah. the ones who understand actually I'm I, I'm not going to get the best out of this kick set like you say so maybe oh look it's, it's taken me so long to get to that stage <laughs> like you know when you when you you know, younger, you're just bulletproof. You think, oh, yeah, my shoulder's a bit sore. I'll just, I don't want to be a wuss. I'll just keep swimming. Well, I've learned the hard way. If your shoulder's sore, it's sore for a reason and you better put your hand up. And I think that it leads into another thing in that um, it's that mental side of thing. You don't ever want to appear weak and um, ask for help, even if you're physically struggling. Whereas it's so important that if there's a niggle, you've got to learn to listen to it. But again, that comes with experience um, and certainly... Um, especially after this sort of run of injuries, you've got to learn to listen and figure out what's an important signal that you've got to listen to and say, I'm going to stop and what's something that you can actually push through and um, it's okay. Mm. I mean, that's tricky when, when you have one coach that was present at that first session, but when you're telling <laughs> yeah. someone who, who wasn't involved in planning that session and wasn't there delivering it to say, actually, I'm not going to be able to do what you had planned. That's a pretty tricky spot to be in. Oh, it definitely is. And I think there's, de it's, you've got to have a level of trust between you and your coach. So they've got to know that you're not just trying to get out the sesh. <laughs> sorry, sorry, you're not, you know, not do a certain thing because you're lazy. I think they've got to trust that, you know, you're doing that because you genuinely are like, no, nope, this is what's best for me as opposed to, you know, trying not to work hard. But I think at this level, a coach trusts that you're going to work hard. And if you say you don't want to do something, it's, it's, um, you know, that's, that's what your, where your body's at. Um, but yeah, getting that communication and, and oh, it, it's, it's been a bit of a process. It takes, it takes a long time to do that, but I'm very fortunate to have coaches who are willing to, you know, 
help the big picture as opposed to pushing their own individual sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the, the process of qualifying for the Olympic Games. How does it work with modern pentathlon? Where, where are those events around the world that you have to compete in and, and gain podiums or gain rankings in? So there are several different pathways to qualify. Um, the most direct path is to go to the, your continental championships. So that would be European championships for um, Britain and, and Europe um, and the Asia Oceania championships for Australia. Um, and the, for us, I had, you had to be the first uh, Oceania athlete across the line. So there's one spot up for grabs in Europe. I think you have to be top eight. So those are automatic qualifying spots. So you do well at that comp, you go. The other way is um, the ranking route. So those who finish um, top six in the ranking who haven't already qualified for the games get to go. And there are other direct spots. So top three at world championships, um, the winner of the world cup final, um yeah there's several different sort of routes and you just got to sort of plan and plot your way and and different competitions give you different points so world championships biggest competition gives you more points versus say the belarus champion open international um that gives you less points Mm -hmm. um and they all accrue over the season so what did your route look like um so (laughs) my um i gained the automatic um Oceania spot. Um, I, I mean, gosh, it, it's been a funny old journey because originally I was looking at going the ranking route because I was up against um, reigning Olympic champion, Olympic uh, reigning Olympic champion Chloe Esposito, um, and she was in absolute cracking form. Um, but the the 2020 Olympics weren't for her, and so I, the opportunity opened up for me to go to the Oceania championships and gained the direct spot through that. Then I became injured um, and it was looking, my sports doctor gave me 1% chance of competing in that direct qualification competition um, because I was on crutches for eight weeks and, you know, pretty, I hadn't trained, um, but four weeks before the competition, I got off crutches. um, So, and they went, okay, you can go to this competition because we don't think you're going to break your leg um, if you do compete. So I went having been walking for four weeks um, and I came second to a New Zealand athlete. Um, I was winning up until the last 400 metres to go of the run, um, keeping in mind I hadn't run for six months, so it was pretty pretty tough. Um, and actually, my coach came up to me at the end of that day and he said, Marina, I actually didn't think you were going to make the entire competition, like make it through the day physically. Um, so... Um, yeah, to, to have finished that was pretty massive. But then the New Zealand team um, didn't select their athlete. And because I was the next ranked Oceania athlete, I came second. Um, the spot rolled down to me and the Australian team selected me upon qualification. Mm. So, it was, yeah, a bit of a journey. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uh, that classic saying about, you know, what is it, 90% of success is just showing up? <laughs> I mean, it's um, kind of one of those scenarios. Oh, absolutely. You know, like the the odds were totally stacked against me. Um, And I think in a funny old way, you talk about victories and the greatest victory, like beating world number two was obviously a great high, but in some ways I feel quite proud of what I achieved that day at the, the Olympic trials and that, you know, I was unfit. I was weak. Um, I'd barely been walking for four weeks and somehow I made it through an international level. 
competition based on my experience and and I just truly didn't believe that I couldn't do it. I was quite naive in that sense. I had no idea how unfit I was. Um, but to have made it through, my body pretty much broke, broke down on me that day. Like I had to be physically pulled onto the podium because <laughs> I didn't have anything left to step up there. But um, yeah, you're right. Sometimes it is just turning up and putting the effort and seeing what happens that can, can make it happen. Yeah. Mm. So I guess, I mean, really interesting, obviously, career in terms of the different events and the process and your own personal kind of challenges and victories. So what's been the underlying driver for you or why for, to get you up out of bed in the morning to go train, to do the competitions, to, you know, withstand, I guess, both the, the stress of speaking to five different coaches and all those kind of <laughs> things. What's the driver for you? Um, you know, I've actually always asked that question to myself and I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's such a tough one. Um, but I think that above all, I just love and enjoy what I do, like the sporting community, pushing yourself, the fun and satisfaction of competing. Um, I think that that's just it for me. And I've always told myself that the day I stop enjoying it is the day I stop altogether um, because in the end if you're not loving what you do like I'm not paid big bucks for what I do in fact quite the opposite I bleed money um but yeah you do, I just love it and I love the life I'm very privileged to be able to do it yeah hmm. so I mean we've kind of spoken a little bit about experiences but are there any uh, particular people um or any other experiences you haven't mentioned that have influenced you in your direction in the sport or even just day-to-day -day life Oh gosh, too many to name. Um, I think early on, probably having an older brother to chase after probably was a big factor in sparking competitive spirit. Um, you know, you always want to be able to keep up and do whatever he does. Um, my parents, they're quite determined people. Um, that especially, I remember quite distinctly, I played soccer when I was younger and he said, you know, whenever you fall up, you get straight back up and you keep playing. Um, and all the coaches I've had over the years from junior level on when I first started off in England to the coaches I have now. Um, at the moment, I think the biggest inspirations are the other athletes I see in the sporting community. Um, everyone's going through their own sort of hardships and victories and, and hearing their stories and, and having their support. Um, they're probably the biggest influencing factors at my, in my current life. So obviously that kind of brings us to to where we are today and I mean sport around the world been put on hold because of the coronavirus. So how is <laughs> how's the postponement of the games which and you know I think was announced was it about a month ago now? How's that affected yeah. you you personally and and what's that process been like in terms of kind of I guess and you know digesting that and and trying to make plans I guess around whatever information you've been given about when that's going to happen. Yeah, look, the writing, the writing was on the wall that something was going to happen to the games. I'm, I was personally relieved that it was postponement and not cancellation. Um, and I do think it was the right call. I think it would have been quite crazy to hold it in times like these. They would have been severely compromised. Um, in terms of personally for me, um, I think with injury, life was quite disrupted anyway. And so the further disruption was just like, oh, well, another, another thing just to deal with and, and get on with it and take it in your stride. Um, and in a funny old way, having an extra year, you know, it's another year to get stronger and fitter. So for me, like that's my unique experience. Um, not everyone's in a different boat 
every athlete has a different sort of perspective on it. But for me personally, um, it, it's quite a positive, um, <laughs> almost quite a positive thing. And that, yeah, I've got a whole nother year to get stronger and fitter and better. Mm. I mean, for those who obviously who don't, don't coach and aren't involved in Olympic sports, won't appreciate that, that they operate in four year cycles purely around mm. the Olympics, don't they? So there's mm. planning years out around when you're going to peak, what day, you know, what, oh, yeah. you know, where, where that's going to be. And there's a big process around getting someone to the Olympic games and peaking them on the right day. So I oh, mean, yeah. it, to, to the average person, it's a bit like, okay, you had a, you know, a frozen football match. It's going to happen next week. It's not quite the same for an Olympic sport. <laughs> no, not, not quite, not quite. But um, look, it's funny. Pentathlon, something's always going to go wrong in pentathlon. Like you don't rock up to a comp expecting everything to be perfect. And I feel like in some ways I've been training eight years for stuff going wrong. Um, so it's like, oh, well, it's the biggest thing that could go wrong. Um, but, you know, we've, you, you just got to adapt and, and change your plans. And like, yeah, you, you're right, though. In, in high performance sport, things are planned meticulously. Um, and I think just letting go and relinquishing control a little bit is really key in this time. Um, you know, it's out of your control, but you got to accept it and, and focus on what you can control, you know, staying healthy, sleeping well, eating well, doing what training you can and just moving forward from there. Hmm. No, it's really, uh, that's, I guess that kind of reflects your mentality. Like the fact that you kind of take it in your stride and just that, that kind of catchphrase as well, something always goes wrong. Um, and learn to adapt <laughs> yeah. it. Cause there's a lot of athletes that are, you know, without wanting to kind of, I guess, castigate them, like mentally fragile in, in terms of liking things, you know, a certain mm. way, liking the mm. kit laid out a certain way and very kind of oh, yeah. around the structure and what happened. Absolutely. To have someone shove a one, one year kind of gap in their schedule would be pretty <laughs> upsetting. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it, I agree. It could be, it's a big disruption, but you just, it is what it is. <laughs> mm. And, you know, you just gotta, gotta deal with it. As I said, though, I, I feel quite grateful that my sports, this weird and wacky thing that always messes up. So yeah, it, it's mentally sort of primed me to be okay, I think. Mm -hmm. So looking back at, I guess, your experience as an athlete across your career to date, are there any particular skills that you would kind of suggest that coaches need to develop when they're coaching younger athletes as opposed to senior level athletes? Is there anything, whether it's a communication style or coaching kind of style, anything that you think, hmm, you know, that athlete or that, or that coach at that point in my journey was perfect. And if they were there mm. now, it might be a bit different. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, I think that for younger athletes um, and coaching them, it's so important to keep in mind longevity. Um, you know, that transition from junior to senior sport is where you see those really high levels of dropping out. And I think ensuring that you don't treat young athletes like they're at the peak of their career is so important, you know, fostering a love an innate love for sport and just having fun, um, I believe is far more important than performance because that's what really sees you through at the end of the day. Um, a coach who had a big influence um, for me in developing my sporting career when I was still a junior was um, Dr. Di Huxley. Um, she was an athletics coach of mine. And the philosophy at that point, young point in my career was simply train to train. So learn, pretty much learn to love and, and enjoy training for the sake of training. Um, and I think that's what sort of stuck with me and led me to my elite career. As I said earlier, is just that genuine love and enjoyment for what I do. Um, yeah. 
So just in ensuring that with young athletes, you're just having fun. Um, and it's not all too serious and too much. And, um, you know, you've got to win. It's, it's, yeah, it's fostering that love for sport, I think. Mm, no, that's massive. I think, as you say, longevity is a big one. People talk a lot about long-term athlete development and pay it a lot of lip service. And then they go out mm. on the weekend and do short-term athletic development and focus on the result and winning. And Absolutely. You know, actually, it's yeah. something we talk about a lot, but there's not a lot of people that do it well. No, and I think it's it's a tough area because there's just so many aspects to it. Because you know, on the one hand, you want to you do want to foster those good habits um, and those sort of um, elite sort of mindset of of being able to deal with adversity and and routine and discipline and doing all the right things. And but on the other hand, it's like oh, geez, you know, when you're 15, you know, you want to also climb trees and you know go out with your mates and ride your bike and break your arm and do all this and that and yeah, yeah. you know it's, it's not the end of the world um you got time for that later um i think just taking the pressure off yeah mm. letting kids be kids be kids mm. so i mean this would be an interesting one as an athlete but are there any kind of resources that you would recommend to people coaching young athletes i don't know if it's maybe books biographies podcasts any social media accounts or things that you've kind of you found useful or turned to Oh, I'm a massive book reader um, and there are far too many to recommend, but probably there are three or four that spring to mind. Um, Mindset by Carol Dweck was a big game changer for me. Um, that's all about um, the growth mindset and how um, putting in effort and ability is always able to be improved upon. Um, I think that was a pretty massive one for me. Um Wired to Play by psychologist Galen Cruz. Um, that was a pretty comprehensive and interesting read on athlete mental health. Um, and I think that's such an important topic for coaches to sort of, yeah, basic, uh, just educate themselves in because at all levels um, of sport, you know, we all encounter difficulties, you know, it's not just the top end. Um, actually in that same vein, I've just ordered a book recently online called The Brave Athlete by Simon Marshall. Um, and that covers the 13 most common mental conundrums athletes face um, in training and races. Um, and my sports psych sent me a couple of chapters on that when I was dealing with injury and I loved it so much that I went out and ordered the entire book. Um, and then I think the other one, possibly just more of a general thing, general thing for sport lovers, athletes and coaches alike, um, was inspired by Sir Steve Redgrave, um, the four-time Olympic gold ro rower. Um, that book was a pretty big turning point for me, I think, in my career. Um, it's just brilliant in highlighting the qualities that really make a good athlete um, and not always the one, the qualities that you think of immediately. Um, so I really enjoyed it. And they're just great stories. Um, they just make you go, ah, oh, geez, isn't it fantastic? <laughs> mm. So if people want to kind of check you out and, and find you on social media or, or learn a bit more about you, where can they do that? And where can they follow you, I guess, eventually when the Olympics does happen? Um, as my friend's going to test, I'm not a massive social media person. Shock, horror. I'm 23, 24, and I don't have Instagram. You're training <laughs> but, too hard um, for that stuff. That's why. Oh, I know. Training too hard. To, got to, can't take a photo. I'm too busy doing the session. <laughs> um, but I do have a short promo video on YouTube um, called Pentathlon in 45 Seconds. So that's sort of me in action. Um, but other than that, um, the Australian Olympic team website has great sort of articles and reviews that I'm sure will ramp up um, closer to the games. Um, and I think I'm not entirely sure if I've got a profile on that yet, but there's a few articles on me um, there. Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. 
Well, thanks so much for your time today, Marina. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and getting an insight into your world as an athlete. Uh, too easy. My absolute pleasure. <laughs> Great to chat.